Hello and welcome back to episode 20 of the Rugby Paper Podcast, which reviews the Gallagher Premiership semi-finals from last weekend and looks ahead to that all-important final between Leicester Tigers and Saracens. Joining me, a new panellist in the form of Rugby Paper columnist Chris Hewitt, as well as special guest, World Cup winning England scrum half, Kieran Bracken. Right, I'm with two new faces. The first of those is Chris Hewitt, and I believe it's a podcast debut for you, isn't it? Not just the Rugby Paper Podcast, your first ever podcast. It's, uh, it's the week in which I learned what a podcast is. So yes, I'm I'm treading I'm treading virgin territory. A debut in every sense. And Kieran, Kieran Bracken, it is not your first podcast, is it? No, I I had a podcast called Rocky, and I enjoyed uh, interviewing a lot of people. So it's 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 nice not to have to plan it and just uh, come on and and speak. But Chris and I go back uh, quite a few years. I think when I was at Bristol, we had uh, many beers together in the amateur days, and um, he was my ghost writer for the World Cup. In 95, which was fun. <laughs> but to, to see that he's not been on a podcast, I mean, that's that's pretty amazing, Chris. I mean, he's very bright. He's not, not obviously, he's not blessed with beauty, so that might be why. I don't know, Chris. <laughs> His first question to me was, is this an audio podcast or a video podcast? And I don't know if I'd said video, whether he would have run off, changed his shirt, you know, put on a... We were just talking about the magic hat that hides the hairline. So oh, yeah. I, I, I've, I've got one here, and but... Um, I think, you know, I can look young, but then I take it off and I think uh, Chris Hewitt's got more hair than me. But you know where I've just come from? You're not going to believe this, where I've just come from. I've just come from Birmingham, uh, where we had a 25-year anniversary of winning the Lions series in 1997. Wow. And it it was very uplifting and very sad at the same time. Two reasons. Obviously, you know... Doddy Weir was there on the last night. So that was last night with his family and his son and his wife. And um, you know, he he's sort of he's sort of going through the the last stages, so to speak. So it was very, very upsetting for everyone, but but great to see him. And then obviously Tom Smith sort of uh, raising a glass to him. His wife was there. And it was um it was great, obviously great to see all the guys, but you know, you kind of you kind of forget you know, how lucky we are, what we did. I mean, I, was only, I wasn't even part of the, the, the test series, but, you know, obviously everyone was there, Matt Dawson and uh, Martin Johnson and Keith Wood and all the players, and it was wonderful. It was just wonderful to see each other again 25 years later and, um, and to raise a toast for Tom Smith. His, his wife was there, flew in from France, and Dottie was there, so it was just it was just wonderful. I mean, there's a lot of drinking going on. I mean, I, I mean, a real lot of drinking. So, apologies if my voice is a bit hoarse, but it was um, amazing. And next year, believe it or not, as you know, is going to be the the 20 year anniversary of winning the World Cup. So maybe that's just the sign of age, what where we're getting to. But um, yeah, it's been it's been amazing to see all these ex players again. And just while we're on the subject of next year, um, you're planning something to celebrate the anniversary, the 20 year anniversary of winning the World Cup. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I've um, I've sort of enlisted uh, five or six players. I've got Martin Johnson. I've got Jason Leonard, uh, Will Greenwood, Matt Dawson, uh, many more, uh, Clive Woodward. So, yeah, I do an event at Twickenham. And um, yeah, if anyone's interested, I don't know how many uh, viewers you get, but if anyone interested, email me, Kieran Bracken at iCloud.com if you want to take a place or take a table. Raising lots of money for charity. Uh, some of it go to Doddy and, and, and other charities. So, yeah, 
it'll be a celebration in March during the Six Nations and the following week. So that'll be really good. I've done it for a few years now and raised quite a lot of money. But yeah, it's got, got to that time now. Jeez, 20 years since we won the World Cup, 25 years since the Lions. And do you remember I had hair then, Chris? And I was um, this budding little law student from Bristol. And uh, yeah, time has flown by, but uh, it's been... I, I obviously went from the amateur into the professional area and yeah. it was... I wouldn't. I wouldn't swap what we did at all for for what they do now. It's uh, it's very different. And watching my sons now go through that is 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 quite exciting and um, very different yeah. to what we did. It, it was, uh, it sorry, was the thing about it was the thing about the '97 tour, wasn't it, Kieran? That it was uh, the first professional tour, but it was also the last amateur tour because the the actual facts of the matter that people were being paid had not yet replaced the fact that they hadn't it hadn't replaced the amateur spirit at all. No. So that's no. cool. I mean I'm I'm surprised with the drinking that went on in ninety seven. You were just topping up uh when yeah. you went to the well, you're completely right. The first thing I got there when I got on a plane, I was out in Tobago or something with my then girlfriend and um, flew in. And the first thing is um, that someone handed me a beer and it, it felt like it felt like a stag do for three weeks, because if you weren't playing, you had to go out and drink. And that's what we did. And it was just amazing. It was great fun. And obviously things changed over the time. But yeah, we, we, you know, we weren't there for the money. The fact that we were getting paid was great. We didn't even know how much we were getting paid. It was like the first professional tour, but like you say, the last amateur tour. And it, it, it you know, they showed us videos of what we got up to, and it was just phenomenal. It was, it was great. Of course, Kieran, the thing that will make the 2003 anniversary better than the 97 anniversary is that Austin Healy won't be part of the 2003 <laughs> anniversary because he yeah. picked. So um, I just think it's an important point to make. Well, a lot, a lot of the uh, a lot of the World Cup squad do delight in that. Um, <laughs> you know, actually, Austin wasn't there for the uh, the reunion for the '97 Lions tour, but I, you know, I, I sparred with Austin for many years about this. You know, before I retired and after I retired, and there was always a bit of needle between us. But actually, you know, I think it must have been pretty hard for him to to see all of us go out there and win. I got injured when I was out there and he got flew out, flown out and then got flown back. So it was really tough for him. You know, it must have been tough for him mentally. But listen, he'd been done a, had a great career out of rugby and, and his commentating is great. So I think it gave him a bit of steel to, 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 to do what he's doing now. So, but yeah, it'll be great next year, to the anniversary, during, obviously during the World Cup year and uh, exciting for next year's World Cup. But like you were saying, I mean, well, one thing which was nice is um, Yian Evans stood up and said a few things about Phil, Phil, Phil Bennett. And um, it was nice of him to sort of talk about him uh, and we all raised the glass to him. And obviously he's a different era and it's probably your era, Chris. Um, I'm joking, you're not that old. But, but, but he was this... Very delicate little light fly half, Pro probably sort of like George Ford statuesque, you know. Very small, lightness feet, very quick. One of the greatest players of all time. So sad to see that he's passed, but um, his memory will live on in, in being one of those genius halfbacks that that Wales seem to produce. Chris, I know you wanted to say something about Phil Bennett as well. Well, I know I'm the Peter Pan of rugby journalism, but actually, I was. It was in my time. I mean, I, I was a rugby, a big rugby enthusiast and, and 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 watcher of the game, and about to start playing 
at the level I played at um, when when Phil was still around. And he was one of the sort of half dozen most thrilling rugby players I've seen. He's always compared to Barry John. Barry John was called the king. I think Phil had every much of a right to the throne as, as Barry. They were different kinds of players. Phil was more explosive, more thrilling, actually, to watch than Barry John, who's whose subtlety and manipulation of a game were, were unparalleled, really. But, but Phil, with that Jason Robinson-like sidestep, where really good defenders simply couldn't fathom where he was going, what he was doing, when he was going to do it, where he was going to do it. He was, he did look very frail, but like a lot of frail-looking outside house, some of you know, of your time, you know, a, a Toby Flood or a Stephen Larkham or a Johnny Sexton, they're far tougher, far tougher and far more physically resilient than they look as though they should be. And that was that was a part of it. Number 10s in those days didn't tackle in anything like the way that they're expected to tackle now. And there certainly weren't any many Johnny Wilkinsons or Owen Farrells around back in the day. But Phil defensively could do what he had to do. Attacking-wise, he was a genius. There was a space on the field for him to exploit and explore his genius. And he will be sadly missed. Sadly missed. He was a wonderful, wonderful player. Type of player that there would be place for in any era, you would say. I think so. Um, you know, we, we, we still have. We still have those people who sort of white, you know, walk the tightrope of their imagination, don't they? We, 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 you know, a few years back we had tiny players like oh, well, Thomas. You have, you have a, a Marcus Smith now, who's 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 a, a wonderfully inventive player. You know, on the face of it, statistically, he's probably physically challenged. There are quite a few. Bowden Barrett, we still have Finn Russell, we still have. So we, it's not always a, the case that yesteryear was better. We still have thrilling players who can do the unexpected it's not completely process driven it's more process driven than it once was but it's not completely a, a matter of process and those and those people are still box office talents aren't they you would you would you would pay to go and see those guys play and long may it continue yeah exactly that and phil is obviously a trendsetter in that sense and let's hope that fellow well, fly halves it's, it's, a, it's a matter of daring it's a matter of it's a matter of daring to be different and while that may have maybe slightly that may manifest itself in slightly different ways in today's game, uh, it's still there. C C Cipriani had a bit of mystery about him, didn't he? Mm. Uh, the mystery was where the mystery went. But you know, he's, he he did have he did have those unusual gifts and that unusual range of vision, which goes right the way back even before Phil Bennett, right back to David Watkins and Richard Sharp and all the. All the Great, great players of many, many decades ago. Um, so it, there is a thread that runs through the sport and that's what makes it a magical sport to be a part of. In that sport, he is certainly a Hall of Famer. Thank you very much for, to both of you for saying something to um, do feel justice. Um, let's move on to the agenda for today. Uh, actually, before we do, Kieran, I've got one question for you. Every time we have an English guest on, I put them on the spot a little bit and ask them to pick their first choice unit according to where they played. Um, for England at the moment. And so, obviously, I'm going to ask you your first choice scrum half and your finisher scrum half for the World Cup final. Imagine that the 12 tests that England play between now and the World Cup final, you can try and test any combination you like. Who are you picking in 20, end of 2023 if we're playing a rugby World Cup final? Uh, uh, well, I would be picking Rafi Quirk. To start? To start. Okay. Yeah. And who do I have on the bench? 
I'm going to say Danny Kerr. Okay, experienced head. Well, he's got a bit of he's got a bit about him, hasn't he? He's sort of he's electric pace, and he can do he could change a game. So you need someone who's going to change a game. Depends if England are persisting in box kicking everything, in which case they'll bring on Ben Youngs or whatever. So, um, uh, you know, I, I would say Rafi Rafi Quirk for me has got that X factor, um, and I think Danny Kerr would be the perfect sort of uh, bench person to change the game. If we're speaking about Rafi Quirk versus Harry Randall, which was the Six Nations debate um, for many, not that Rafi Quirk featured, is that the differential for you? It's that Quirk X factor? Yeah, I mean, I think Quirk, I think he's been injured quite a lot though and he hasn't had a chance to fulfil his potential yet. I think we're going to see the best of him uh, next season. I think he has got something special. He needs. He's obviously still young and still learning the game, but I think... You know, if you look at how France operate, you know, when you have a nine who's a threat, we have a nine who's dangerous, you have to keep your eye on all the time. It makes a massive difference from a team going forward and obviously defensively, you know, hard to defend. So I think England have missed that. I think they need something like that. I mean, at some at one stage, Ben Spencer was on fire and Dan Robson were on fire, playing very well, not getting picked. Ben Young's getting picked week in, week out, irrelevant of form. So I think really England need they, they need a nine who's going to threaten. They, they they need that and they need that soon. So I think um, that that would be why someone like Rafi Quirk has got that in his armour. He's a bit like uh, Faf de Klerk, kind of sort of busy and looking for little opportunities and keeping people honest as well. So that's what I like. I think all the skills for everyone are, are much of a muchness. I wouldn't say they're great their skill level at the moment, nines in this country. But you just, I think if, if you're all much of a much, you might as well have somebody who's going to threaten the line. And he's the sort of guy who could, who could score a try out of, out of nothing. So that's why, that's why I, think, I think he'll be very important in the World Cup next year. Couldn't agree more. And obviously, Fafta Gluck is on the way out of sale, which means that hopefully Rafi will get many more starts than he's been getting as well. And yeah. tangenting a little bit, are you doing an England 2019 and just taking two nines on the plane? Or are you taking a third one as well? And if so, who's that? Oh, it's all, oh, I think you'd have to have three nines, mainly because if, there's a, if there is a little injury to one of them and you want to rest one of them for the next game, then, then you'd have to rest them. I think Mitchell's done quite well at Northampton. I think he's starting to mature. You know, he's got an eye for a gap. Just on the scrum half thing, it's quite interesting. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned him right at the end, Mitchell. I mean, to my eye, and look, you're the international scrum half here. To my eye, he has got an amazing amount of potential. Uh, I know he's playing with a side that play in a particular way, which may well suit his skill set. But he seems to me, he seems to me to have a quickish pass. He does pose a, th- he's posed a threat. I think his supporting lines are fantastic. And he gets to almost as many rucks as uh, Lee Dixon, um, from also from Northampton. He, he just seems to tick an awful lot of boxes to me, but he never gets the thriller minute mentions that maybe with my jaundiced eye, I feel he deserves. Uh, uh, could you expand on your thoughts on Alex? Because I, th- I think he's an, an exciting possibility. I think he is, yeah. I, I, you know, I think there's, I, I've seen him dominate a game, but then I've also seen him, 
you know, errors creeping in in his game. You know, some of his box kicking isn't 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 that accurate. Some of his passes as well. I I I found that he was you know pausing and delaying before he passed a little bit. I don't know whether he's setting himself or he's just working out who he's passing to. But there's a bit of a delay there, which. If you were to look at, um, you know, some of the best players, you know, around the world at the moment, especially, say, Aaron Smith, you know, the, the, the ball's gone in an instant. Gibson Park as well, ball's gone in an instant. I do feel that the English scrum halves are, are pausing on the ball far too long instead of just getting it away irrelevant of what the pass looks like. So I, I get frustrated watching, watching, you know, the skill level of the, of the nines in England at the moment. But Mitchell, I wouldn't say he's got a great pass. Um, but it's kind of that mixture. You know, there was a time with a Dowie Morris type back row player, not a great pass, but great on your team. He could read things, he could organise, he could, you know, he could snipe. Is that better than the Aaron Smith where the ball's gone in an instant? So I would like to see English nines probably improve their pass a bit more than they are at the moment. But yeah, Mitchell's got something about him. He's got something about him, but I think he's getting better and better. He's sort of, you know, I watched him a few times, like, oh, I'm not sure. And then I was like, oh, he's quite good. And then some games are brilliant. And then you're like, so I think we all find our feet. You watch me play at Bristol, you know, when I was 19, 20, and I'd have a great game, a terrible game. And, you know, it's about finding your feet. And the same in international as well. It's probably the toughest position, I think, to play internationally as a nine, as a young nine. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's time for the new, new breed to come, you know, to, to be playing now and starting. I was disappointed that we went, you know, with Harry Randall and then suddenly for the most important game, we changed it to Ben Young's. I think if you're going to, you're going to go with something, you stick with it. I found that very odd, but then we're not here to talk about those selections because we, it's only an hour podcast. <laughs> there's, there's a long history of English coaches doing exactly that kind of thing, isn't there? I remember yeah. Matthew Tate being dropped when he was in the form of his life simply because the French picked Matthew Bastereau, who was eight times the size of Matthew Tate, but Bastereau yeah. was eight times the size of everyone. Yeah. Uh, so so they, I think they picked up Mike Tyndall instead of Matthew Tate. Yeah. It's just purely on who the opposition had picked which immediately sends out a message, doesn't it? That we're more worried about who you're picking than who we're going to put on the field. And yeah. that's, um, I don't that's an entirely positive way to approach a game. Kieran, one interesting point that you made about the speed of the pass from um, English Nines and how they do take a little bit of time on it. Now, obviously, Scrum Half is as much a multifaceted uh, role as it's ever been, probably more so, you know, like Antoine Dupont, some of the uh, ball carriers now as well, that, you know, they're adding that sort of chink to their armory. Even so, priority number one as a nine generally has always been get the ball from A to B as fast as possible. And the rest is just a bonus, you know, to that. But the speed of pass is a prerequisite. And so what is it that's stopping English nines being able to distribute as quickly, especially when you've got a fly half like Marcus Smith, distribute as quickly as the likes of Aaron Smith, Jamie Gibson, Park Dupont, etc.? I think it's the way the game is played uh, abroad compared to here. I think the, um, I think they, you know, Super Rugby, Australia, South Africans, New Zealanders, you know, they 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 want they want to move the point of contact as, as quickly as possible. And if you watch the way Leinster play or, or, or Ireland play, that's that's the sort of unique selling point is 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 moving the point of contact all the, all the time and I kind of think that and it might well be because of, I mean I don't think DuPont's a great passer I think he's okay 
but he's such a threat. You kind of like, it makes up for it all. I just think, I guess the, the greatest pastor of all time, without doubt, was Richard Hill, uh, the Bath scrum half. I mean, he taught me, he was unbelievable. The speed of his pass was just ridiculous. And the amount of time it gave Stuart Barnes and the people outside him is, is amazing. And no wonder when you watch, you know, sort of New Zealand play and you wonder, oh, well, how have they got that try? Well, half of it's because he's got the ball away so quickly. The 10 has so much more time. And then if you watch English rugby, you know, England internationals, you look at Ben Young's. I mean, I, I coached Ben Young's for, for quite a few years, but, but I think that the tendency is to, to kind of delay decision on what you're going to do and just sort of whether you're hitting a forward or hitting a back, but there's not that overriding aim to whip the ball out as quick as they can. I mean, almost no look passing. So, I don't know why, when you've got Ferraris on the wing like England have had over the last few years, that it isn't a priority. It does seem it's not a priority. The nines do tend to take one or two steps. The ball's a bit slower, and you hope and say, Manu Tulangi's playing whatever, you can get over the gay line. But I think to be playing a, a fast, attractive game, scoring tries, you need to be, be able to get the ball away. And I find with England, the problem half has been, the problem with England has been, you know, they, they, they can get themselves down there, you know, within the red zone, but the ball comes out so slow that, you know, at international level, it's just so hard to, to, to move the ball. So I just think, I just find it frustrating to watch, you know, when your nine takes two or three steps, your ten's already up. It's a late decision in the centres. Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, when's the last time in reality you saw the ball come from one side of the pitch to the other side of the pitch in an England shirt? You know, where it just went down the line. I can't really remember it ever happened. Certainly not in the last Six Nations. I see Wales and and, and Scotland trying to do it. Definitely see them trying to do it. They tried to play wide, wide sometimes. You know, play in the you know the outside channels, but it just feels a little bit, how can I say, it just feels a bit stale, a bit slow. I think it worked in the 70s and the 60s for England. They had a really big pack. You have a nine that's like back row four, you're just popping it up and you take three steps and pass and all that. And that's fine. But I think for the game to go to the next level, it's about speed of rook. You look at uh, Ireland, what is it, 1.8 seconds, you know, average or two seconds. Our rooks, I, I, I hate to imagine what the time is, but it's probably the slowest rook speed in world rugby. So well, they're measured in months, aren't they? They're measured in months. I mean, it, it is, it, and, and it is frustrating because you're, you and what you talk about the, the, the use of width and the speed of of involving width. Northampton have been doing that all season because they recognise their shortcomings up front. They can't win many arm wrestles because they don't have many arm wrestlers. Um, yeah. But they come up with a way of playing which which circumvents their weaknesses and their frailties. Harlequin yeah. are a more powerful side up front, and they're, but but they're using width quickly as well. Um, so a lot of it, I think, Kieran. I mean, you, you may you may agree with this. A lot of it is just intent. It's will. It, it's it's wanting to play in that way. And we seem so scared of moving away from where we consider our strengths to be, which is still good old English beef and brawn, which is slightly frustrating. And we don't move away from that very quickly. Um, it, it seems no. to be, even when we have a non-English coach who's, who has coached inventive sides in the past, the Brumbies, Japan, they sort of redrew the map of what they were doing. They were extraordinarily imaginative in their day. And the Japan days are not so long ago. But he gets to England and we end up 
you know, with minute minute long rucks and um, yeah. and and playing around the edges and kicking a lot. Need a Brendan McCullum style character to come in and transform. You know, shout out to the England cricket team, by the way, for what they did yesterday. That was remarkable, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> But yeah, very, very interesting. And I wish we could continue that discussion. Like I say, if we did, we would be not fulfilling the promise for the episode, which would be to review the semis from the Gallagher Premiership and look ahead to the final. Kieran, I'll come to you for Sarri's Quins for obvious reasons. How confident were you going in that Sarri's would get the job done? Quite, uh, quietly confident. Although with, with, with Harlequins, you never know which team's going to turn up. Could it be the, the team of Alwa last year? And we, 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 know, we know how amazing they had, had, had their comebacks but I think Saracens would have prepared very well for this game uh, in the sense that they would have talked a lot about the Harlequin season. I think one thing that, that Quinns are quite good at, and they knew that for them to have any chance, they have to get a fast start, which they did. You know, Saracens sort of like took a time to get going. But yeah, I, I, just, I just think that um, it was always on the cards. There was a bit of animosity, animosity between the two sides and uh, Joe Marler saying I listened to him on TalkSport the day before and he said he said how are you feeling about this game he said yeah I, I hate Saracens and their cheeks and this and that and I thought gee well, for, for, he's got balls on the old Joe Marler but um, you know what it was just one of those games where it was uh, you know it was a semi-final I, 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 I was confident I was confident that, that Saracens would um, would beat them and it, it turned out to be a great game and, you know, Saracens coming through. And bearing in mind, you know, Saracens, where they've come from, what a year out of the Premiership, relegated, a lot of them sticking and sticking together. And then to come back and, you know, fight all season and now to be in the final. And we know what their record's like in finals. You know, they're, they're very, very good. But I think it's a testament to the team, the players, Owen Farrell, the coaches, all that stuff that, that's happened off the pitch, you have to bear in mind, it's not the players' fault. It's nothing to do with the players. It's outside the players' control what happened. And we can debate all, you know, forever about whether it was right or wrong. You know, my own opinion is a lot of the clubs were doing similar sorts of things and will continue to do these sort of things. But Saracens got caught. I think Saracens were probably doing those sort of things way more than anyone else. And I think it was right that they got they got relegated. But now they've come back, starting again. It's very exciting to do that and play in the championship and not to be to have a year out like that and to to, to manage to get to the final at Twickenham again a year later, I think is in its in itself astonishing. I honestly thought that they would struggle this year. I thought they would be in and out of it because you can't have a year playing the championship and suddenly be able to get get to the final the following year just based on history of winning European Cups and and, and the Premiership. So I'm I'm obviously I'm a South and I'm really pleased for them. I do think though that everyone's thinking of this final a bit like I did for Liverpool against Real Madrid. So everyone's saying, well the Saracens are going to win. So why? Why are Saracens going to win? Well because they they've won a lot before and you know like Liverpool they keep winning and they're amazing. And the underdog being Real Madrid this time, Leicester. I mean, Leicester. You know, why would they be? Un why would they be underdogs? Just think about Leicester, which you don't realise they've they've got the most titles of anyone else. Ten Premiership titles. They have the most consecutive final appearances. I think it's nine. They've had mo more playoffs than anyone else. I think it's twelve. It's the first time a team have ever been top of the leaderboard all year. First time I think that's ever happened. So this Leicester side have gone from relegation potential to 
top of the table and stayed there all year. Why do we all therefore assume in our heads that Saracens are going to win? And I know why we do. It's like I thought we were going to beat Real Madrid. It's because we just see them as winners. We just see them as holding the cup. I take, same... I take it you're a Liverpool fan then, by the way. I am. Yeah, okay. I am. Devastated. Devastated. Well, I'm a Chelsea so... fan, so you've, beaten, you've cost us two, two trophies this year. So I'm not, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not all that sympathetic, to be honest. We have. So therefore, I'm sort of in one of those... I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the booking odds. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Saris, bet, I, don't... I, I do know them actually. Not that I bet. Saris are one to two, and Tigers are eight to five. Right, and I can't. Saris are favourites. Milk and Chris. So Chris is a very good orator and uh, literature guru, but comes to maths, he's looking at it, going, "Well, I think one's better than the other." Well, my father, for his sins, who, who read only one book in his life, and that was about a jockey, and then threw it in the fire. Why did you do that, Dad? Well, I've read it. That was the kind of literary background I come from. But he was a part-time bookmaker. And I can tell you that that makes Saracens pretty clear favourites. I mean, they're odds on. Um, what, just think about that, though. Why? Just think about that. Just well, think, that's, I, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? I, I, mean, I, I, I mean, A, it's nice to know that instead of, you know, in the light of Liverpool's defeat, you didn't phone the Samaritans. You just did a bag of research for this podcast because the stats you've just come out with are extraordinarily accurate. So right. pretty, pretty, pretty damn good, Kieran. I do think that there's an assumption out there that not many Leicester players were getting a little to a Saracen side. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure that that's that's correct. I think there might be a bit of a discussion. It, you know, People assume that Billy Vunapola would be number eight. Is he that much better than just for Visa at the moment? Probably not. Uh, one of the Leicester second rows might get in. Quite a few of the front row, uh, you know, two thirds of the front row may may well, you know, squeak in. I don't think it's that clear cut. George Ford, Owen Farrell, that's quite a big discussion, the way George Ford played, especially at the weekend. I mean, he was astonishingly good in terms of his game management. So I think it's a real game. And... And, and the great thing about it is that Steve Borthwick will know absolutely everything down to the finest detail about how Saracens are likely to approach the game tactically, technique-wise, emotionally, because he's one of the architects of modern-day Saracens, one of the principal architects, and he will certainly have come up with a way of messing their line-out around and if if the Saracens line out doesn't function, it could be quite a long day for them. It's tough. It's a, it's a proper game for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's interesting. Uh, I think one of the, the the key cornerstones of of, of Leicester and their success has been their set piece and the line out and George Ford kicking so well. But they've been very consistently good, haven't they? But with Saracens, I don't know. You get this sort of like great one week you get a great performance, and the next week it's pretty average. And they're sort of up and down, aren't they? At Saracens, one of the biggest problems at Saracens is, is selection, is who to pick. I mean, it's very difficult to pick. I would say the the centres of back three, and then the back row. I know we'll get on to the team and the selection and stuff, but but Saracens have got you know they're going to leave really good players on the bench. I mean, McFarlane, I mean, I don't know what you think, but he's been the find of the century. I mean, this guy, yeah. it looks like a Maratoji who's played all his life. I mean, like, what a player. You, you look at Ben Earl, who's sort of in the wilderness and probably should get a recall, you know, w- with England very soon. Just incredible. But 
uh, Nick Ezekwe, great player. Jackson Raven, Polar. I mean, it just Christie. Like, how do you pick your back five for, for the for the final? You know, but the thing for me is with Saracens is um, Nick Tompkins is one of those underrated players who doesn't get the the plaudits that he deserves. He'll be a massive loss from Saracens. I know they've got sent lots of centres. So, yeah, I, I kind of think for, for Saracens, it's, I think it's a bit easier selection for Leicester. But for Saracens, I think if Swinson was to play, it's because they might want to do a bit of mauling, but maybe better in the line-out. But that changes things around. So, I, I, it'd be very interesting. I actually saw Kelly Brown last week. I said, Kelly, what's it like sitting in a, a selection meeting for Saracens? He says, Kieran, it's just, he says, you're going to leave out an international you're going to leave out an international, a cracking player who's not going to be in the, in, in the 22. It's mad, isn't it? it, it we, you know, it's crazy. Or, or, or you're going to leave out somebody who has been absolutely at the heart of everything you've done for years, like Jackson Ray. Jackson, Jackson Ray yeah. wasn't going to run at the, at yeah. the weekend, and he's been an absolute go-to player. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's very often the only non-international in their side. Yeah, And he's been as good, if not better, more yeah. often than anyone else they put on the field. And that's a wonderful thing about Saracens. I think it's a real strength, is they get the best out of players who are not rock stars. So they get, also, best. They get the best out of Sean Maitland, don't they? They get the best out of Tim Swinson. They get the best out of Jackson Ray. They get the best out of Tom Kings. Alex Goods. Well, I, I, Alex, Alex, I do think, is, is an absolute... Sorry. Okay, to me, I, I mean, I'm, I'm personally offended by the fact that he's not played England fullback for most of his career. I think he's I a agree. wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. No, we were, we were sort of salivating when we start mentioning the the players at Saracens, but we we would do less so when we start talking about the the, the Leicester team. You know, yeah, they're they're top of the table. Obviously, Freddie Stewart's something special. George Ford, okay, he's, he played well last week, and he's had an up and down. Some of his games pretty good, uh, yeah, but but you don't look at the backs, for instance, and go, oh wow, you know, maybe maybe when Nadolo comes on, you think, wow, his <laughs> size of this guy, but you don't really get that salivating feeling when you start talking about the Leicester players. Yeah, here they are; they're in the final. So I just kind of think sports strange than what it does to people like Chris and myself, where we sort of kind of go to that game and we think that Saracens are going to win it. And I'm not so sure because I don't. I think Saracens have been inconsistent. I'm slightly worried in the game in the uh, semi-final game against Quinns. I think they had a driving ball, had a try, scored against them quite early on, didn't they? And then unusually the scrum was going backwards a few times. Uh, I noticed early on, which is unusual for Saracens. And then you look at the strengths of of, of Leicester, and that's probably where they're, they're strongest. So with Saracens being inconsistent, with Leicester being consistent, with Saracens having probably the more colourful, uh, exciting players, and then you look at Leicester who don't have that, but they have in the right areas, they have the right players. Can they come together as a team? I think it's going to be a cracking final, which I'm going to and taking my kids. It might be one of those days. Yeah, one of those days where, you know, it, like some of the finals have been amazing, gone down to the, like a fine moment in the last minute. You know, I think I think if anything, Saracens, you know, have got a stronger bench. So, poor. 
The, the question, Kieran, will be whether Leicester frees up a bit because they, they yeah. just have a bag, of, a bag of players who don't have rich experience. I mean, almost an entire back line, inclu- yeah. including Stewart, actually. I mean, he's played some pretty big yeah. games now, but he's still quite young, you know, and, 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 and you know, he hasn't played that many games. I, I think it will be a set-piece game from Leicester, for sure. And I just, I think, and it's almost heresy to say so, but I think that when it comes to the scrum, I think Makabunapola is heading very quickly into past tense territory. I don't think he's as good as he once was. It, I mean, Mako, it's always been the case with Mako, in my view, that if he'd been able to scrummage as well as he did everything else, he'd have been the greatest loose head ever to play the game. But he can and couldn't, so he isn't and wasn't. Um, that's, that's my view of him. I think on a bad day, and he does have the old bad day, he can really, really be exposed in the tight. And I think yeah. Leicester will go after him there, just as I think Leicester will send Ellis Genge and Jasper Visa after Farrell. Farrell will stand up to it, of course, as he did on Saturday. That was a bit of a fighting display by Owen. Harlequins went after him, really physically went after him. They thumped him and, and kneed him around a bit and jumped on him and made his life really, really miserable or attempted to. But Owen is one of the great great fighters of our time isn't he I mean he's a yeah. tough tough nut but that's why everyone Leicester trying to rile him and they it's will what every yeah it's what every team would do you know yeah. like I've always seen Farrell as like a second coach on the pitch I mean he's just he's just incredible oh. and he's actually playing some of his best rugby at the moment I think. yeah yeah in the last six weeks since he's come back I mean amazing so and George Ford yeah I mean I mean, he can, his spiral bomb kick's quite exciting. He's a great kicker. He's a great organiser. But I think Saracens go after him, as will Leicester go after, you know, Farrell. But yeah, my money might, my money's sort of, here we go again. I'm talking about, well, Saracens are favourites. Saracens have got the better team. Saracens have got the best, better kicker. Saracens have got a better pack. The backs are more exciting. But I just, it's back to Liverpool against Real Madrid, isn't it? Um, you're, you're trying to reverse psychology it so that Saracens go in as underdogs and then win, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I, I like the whole Liverpool Rail situation, but I think that yeah. that is a good argument for why Saracens are favourites. Is you speak about their inconsistency, that inconsistency has been eradicated significantly by Farrell coming back. And if you just look yeah. at the semis on their own, I would say that Saracens made a statement against Harlequins. I wouldn't say that Leicester made a statement against Northampton. Leicester no. were 14 13 down with 15 minutes to go. Dan Bigger got injured. That was a turning point. There was a yellow card, a really harsh yellow card. That was another turning point. They sort of had the lay of the land a little bit. And I don't think Sarri's, based on the Leicester performance, will have any real reason to fear this Leicester Tigers team. I thought if any team could beat Sarri's, it would be Harlequins because Harlequins can unlock most doors. They couldn't unlock Sarri's door. And so you're, you're making a case for Leicester and then you're giving every reason why Sarri's are indeed favourites. But for yeah. me, that's exactly why the bookies are so heavily favoured towards Sarri's. I think, I, agree. I, think Saracens, I, I, I think Saracens, if Saracens lose this game, it'll be through set piece. Yeah. It'll, it'll be the fact that they're, that they're under some heat in, in the scrums and Borthwick comes up with, with a variety of ways of messing up their line out and just restrict them, the kind of good ball that allows them to play the, the kind of territory and hit the kind of tempo that we're, we're familiar with. Which is why Wayne Barnes, who's the refereeing it, is going to play a key role in it, I think. You know, he's been around and done it, hasn't he? So... No better man, although Luke Pierce probably is. I was going to say, yeah, he's he's on touch. I think, isn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah. well, Luke, Luke. I mean, Luke has set his stall out, hasn't he, to to play to, 
just to play, have every game he referees at a tempo. So he, he just simply won't countenance people hanging around, you know, at the back of scrums and, you know, it, it, it rucks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He, ju- he just drives it on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And he's, he's, I, think, I think he's changed refereeing in a way and probably for the, probably for the better. One of the interesting things around a refereeing will be how much counter-rucking Wayne Barnes allows on Saturday, because we're seeing more and more of it. For those of us old schoolers who thought that the ruck was the only sort of dynamic that made the game possible to play. And once you took out the old-fashioned ruck, you then have all the static stuff around, you know, um, um, nobody going past the ball, nobody really staying on their feet to get pile-ups and every, everything's slower. There's no space on the field because it's not a numbers game around the ball. All the stuff that Kieran would have been familiar with when he was, certainly when he first started playing. There is a lot of counter-rucking going on now. People just going past the ball on their feet. We see it a lot in the in Super Rugby at the moment. Harlequins have been doing it. Wasps have been doing it all year. But, some, some referees allow you to do more of it than others. And if Wayne allows people to go after a ball in a counter-rucking situation, then I think it will be quite interesting. I think that brings a new dynamic to the game. If he doesn't and starts penalising people for coming in at the side and all that kind of stuff, um, then, then maybe the game will be much more structured. And, and in a way, I think that does suit... It's actually, funnily enough, it suits both sides, doesn't it? They both like structure and, and territory and, and playing some percentages and what have you and playing at a time of their choosing. They're not naturally counter-attacking sides either. No. Brief hiatus in the final preview. We'll get back to it in a second. Kieran, I told you about a quick far 15 question section. Yeah. It is time for your random rugby 15. It's 15 questions. You say as much or as little as you like and then we'll get back to rugby. I know you have to go soon, so maybe just... Not, not an essay for each one. All right, that's fine. And what, once so, you're ready, we'll get going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, nickname. Nickname, Broken. So, Kieran Bracken, Broken. I was injured all the time. That was probably Chris Hewitt, probably a headline in, in the uh, West Country Post. Broken was my nickname. As this is not an, an, a video podcast, Chris Hewitt is celebrating furiously on the Zoom screen to have left such an imprint on uh, on a man's career. <laughs> yeah. Best rugby memory? Um, probably my first cap, beating the All Blacks first game. No one gave us a chance and amazingly beat the All Blacks at home, 1993. Yeah, not a bad way to start. Most on one in- leg, Kieran. On one leg, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Most embarrassing rugby memory? Playing against my first game against Ireland, they saw me as a traitor having been born in Ireland and they kicked the living shit out of me. In 1994, I got a ball from a line out and as I touched the ball, the whole Irish pack ran over the top of me, stamped on me, took the ball from me, ran down the pitch, Simon Gagan scored in the corner and I walked back uh, with no shorts on when they'd been ripped off. So I've got my cycling shorts underneath and I've gone back with no shorts and the Irish forward pack were late there's plenty more where that came from Peter Clossey those sort of players so that was probably my most embarrassing moment cycling shorts are a better choice than budgies to be fair on the day so you can be thankful in that regard Uh, post pre-game tune sorry oh god a bit embarrassing I think I was sitting next to uh, David Flatman and I had um, you can be my hero from uh, is it Julio Iglesias, something like that, and Enrique uh, Iglesias. He heard, he heard me listen to it, and he just told everyone about it, and he ripped the piss for years and years. But I, I used to listen to all sorts, really. I wasn't really into rapping or anything, um, but yeah, all sorts. 
post-game meal? Oh, post-game meal. God, I would. I, I was partial to a curry if I, in the amateur days. Have a, have a match meal pint fight. Not quite like that. I'm joking, but it was. Uh, yeah, if I if I, if I had my favourite meal would be that. Nice one. Best player you've played against. Jordan Lomu, probably. Um, but from a scrum half point of view, I'd say Yusuf Andervestesen. Incredible player. Ran around me too many times. Incredible. Best player you've played with? I've played with... Because uh, rugby's sort of like 15 different positions, isn't it? It's hard to choose a forward over a back. But I would say Richard Hill from Saracens was probably the best rugby player I played with. Consistent. Could play in the backs. Could play in the forwards. Did everything. Fit. Strong. Everything. Favourite player right now? play right now mm, current player current player um, I'd say Ben Earl then okay nice actually I would say Ben Earl at the moment but maybe DuPont I, I love watching DuPont um, world player of the year so yeah I mean if Ben Earl keeps going like he is but I think DuPont this year last few years has been a joy to watch rugby idol so Gareth Edwards easy favourite stadium oh Say the Principality, Wales Stadium is probably yeah. the best stadium. Favorite gym exercise? Jeez, um, the plank. Nice. Because of, yeah, we've had plank before. Chris, you got a favorite gym exercise? Um, um, I, I am actually a plank. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go with that then. Occupation if rugby didn't exist? Uh, lawyer. I was trained to be a lawyer and a web professional, so law. Superstitions. Didn't have any. Okay. Rugby law, you would change? Rugby law, you change. No subs. Nice. Best thing about working in rugby? Monday morning, after a win, the banter. Worst thing about being in rugby, Monday morning, when you've lost, and <laughs> doing a, a review. So Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's a very original answer and a good one as well. Right. Great. Thanks for doing that, Kieran. Um, how long have you got? 10 minutes? Yeah ish yeah yeah all right last 10 obviously we've we're well into the previewing of the final you mentioned ben earl and i just want to say a little bit about him as well i was joking with my physio about him being named player of the season which to me came as a bit of a surprise but kieran i'm guessing you're going to say that he absolutely deserves it and his performance after being named player of the season was exactly why yeah he's 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 gone to a different level i think he knows he needs to go to a different level i think if if you were to look at though who he's competing with, certainly with England, there's some really, really good players, aren't there? You've got Sam Underhill, Curry, it, Ludlam. It's just, I just think he's mature. I think he's realised that he's got to up, up his game in every facet. I like the fact that um, he's scoring tries as well. He's a danger. Sometimes I, I wonder whether he's what his fitness like is compared to some of the other uh, back row players. I think. He was very inconsistent uh, a couple of years ago when he first got capped. Very inconsistent. You know, he could be man of the match and then you wouldn't see him. Man of the match, wouldn't see him, not see him, not see him. I think now we're starting to... I think he's realised that he's got to really, really... To be to be anywhere near the Currys, he's got to up his game. And I think he's done that. He, he certainly has done that. And um, I think it, the way Saracen's play helps him. He, he can do everything, can't he? He's a, a try scorer. He, he's a great... Jackal steals lots of balls. He's probably not a line-out jumper. Maybe, you know, if you compare him to other back row players, you know, maybe the Courtney Laws and stuff, he's probably not a line-out jumper. But you, you can see 
that he's, you know, he's a forager, he's, he's getting around the pitch and he's, he's, he's maturing. And that's, you know, it takes time. I think to be to be an exceptional back row player in the Premiership and get named player of the year, you have to be doing something right. And to do that amongst all the great players in the Premiership who've, you know, played really, really well, for him to stand out like that, I think is testament to him. But I think it's some, something twigged. Obviously going to Bristol helped him. I think that was a sort of important for him to go there and learn and, you know, get in the team and, and try and be better. But he's done something this year, whether it's off the pitch. I don't know what he's done, but it's it's worked. And I think he's going to put pressure on the other the other back, back row players for the World Cup. Well, this is the thing. And obviously, England are undersubscribed in certain positions. Seven is not one of them. You're under Hills, you're Curries, you're Willis. Obviously, he's come back and he's been playing well since then. Where's Benel's way in? Does he come in as, well... Probably not a seven, if we're being honest. An eight, potentially. Could you see him making his way into the England setup? Yeah, with a different number on his back. No, I think I, I think he's just got to play better as a seven. We we just don't know the, with the makeup of the back row for the World Cup with Tom Curry whether he's going to be. He could end up being a six. And Courtney Laws goes up, and he, there's lots of people who can move around. But I think if you're good at something in a position and it's going well, why would you change? You know. Um, I, I'm not sure at eight he has the know-how and the nous to run yeah. a game, but he certainly has the. He's playing well at seven at the moment. I think that's going to be his best position. Bear in mind he's still very young, you know. And these other players you mentioned, they're going to get injured. I think he's just got to keep up in his game, and and then it'll be a it'll be a question of who gets picked. I do think it's it's a long season. I think it's quite a tough season to be a back row player in the Premiership. You're going to have injuries, and he'll get his he will get his chance. Mark my words, he'll get his chance. The question is is whether he'll take his chance and whether he can keep the jersey. But uh, the way he's going at the moment, I wouldn't be surprised if they find an extra place on the plane to Australia. If I'm remembering correctly, there was talk a couple of years ago about like a hybrid winger flanker, and Benno was in that discussion. Do either of you remember that? Well, there, there's certainly been a lot of discussion, hasn't there, about um, no numbers no longer mattering. Well, Lavani uh, Bottier is playing seven against England. Well, he's, Barbars, he's, isn't he? he's a bit of he's a bit yeah. of yeah. Um, and, and 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 maybe we, we, with some of the islands guys, given their physical capabilities, that's an easier that's an easier card to play um, than it is in sort of more many more position specific countries. But you know, England. England. I mean, it's not so long. It's not so very long ago that England couldn't find a seven for eleven of money. You know, I mean, Chris Robshaw was always a six playing seven. Yeah. Tom Wood was a six playing seven when when he got in. So there were there were struggles in that area. Um, now it's different, as you say. There are a lot of options. Uh, England played two specialist sevens against the All Blacks in 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 the semi final in in 2019, and it worked incredibly well for them. Um, it's perfectly possible, actually, up to a certain level, to let's say play Tom Curry, Ben Earl, and Jack Willis in the same back row and cover an awful lot of bases. What you don't have with those, with that kind of lineup, is a really, really big. I mean, they're all very physical players. You don't have size. You know, if, if size yeah. is important to you, really important, if you feel that you you have to have someone really substantial um, in terms of height in that back row, then that obviously can't work. But those three together would cover an awful lot of bases, a hell of a lot of bases. You've got Willis as a specialist 
turnover merchant, especially an absolutely specialist jackler, jackler. Tom Curry is a specialist jackler, plus some other stuff because he's such a big carrier. And you have someone who covers the waterfront like Ben Earl, who has natural pace and gets to all corners of the ground. It may be something just to experiment with. If we're on the subject of the back row, we did touch upon this earlier and the likes of McFarland, Earl, Andy Christie, etc., and how you can't fit them all into your back five. Kieran, four, five, six, seven, eight for Saracens. Could you name your selections for this Saturday? All right, I'll, I'll start with the easiest. Willie Polar at eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Earl. I would then have, I would have McFarland at six. Yeah. I would have Nick Ezekwe at second row, and I'd have Maratoji. Okay. Chris, do you agree with that? Um, almost. I mean, I, I, I certainly, I, I don't see that there's much of an option around Billy Vunapola, although um, I've I've never, never worshipped absolutely at the altar of Billy Vunapola in the way that some others have. Um, but that's just me. I think Ben Earl's a shoe-in. I think McFarlane, because, because A, he's on a, such a hot streak, and B, nobody much, knows much about him at the moment. You know, his second season will be interesting because there'll be people pouring over videos of this guy and they will identify weaknesses and his challenge will be to come up with something new. You put a new twist, Kieran knows all of this stuff. You know, you can't play the same way every season because you get found out with the level of analysis there is around now. Maro Atoje, just one of the very, very few, very few post-2003 world-class players, genuine world-class players, England are produced by world-class, I mean, who get into a World 15 or will be in the, in the discussion. So Itoche's fantastic. I would pick Swinson and have Ezekwe on the bench. Uh, the only reason I pick Swinson is, is he plays the kind of game and can counter the kind of game that you would expect from a Harry Wells or whoever it is who plays it. I mean, Leicester have tractor second rows, don't they? They have dog second rows. Yeah. Um, and somebody like Swinson can stand up to that. And actually, as we said earlier, Saracens are so brilliant at getting the very, very best out of people who are not, in the end, absolute stellar players. And I think, again, Swinson's played remarkably well for them. He's the, he's the glue. He's the cement between the bricks, whatever you want to call it. So I think for an hour, 55 minutes, he's well worth playing. But Ezekwe is in a bit of form himself. I thought he played really well when he got on at the weekend, actually. Yeah, he made a massive difference, especially at line-out, he did. didn't he? And that, Kieran, is that why you've got him starting? Yeah, I, 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 I think Nick is an international player. I think he's um, underrated as well. Um, maybe doesn't quite have the size, but I, I, I like I like what he does. I think he could, you know, he adds a lot, you know, certainly at line out for steals. And, and, you know, some say, okay, Swinson maybe a better mauler, but in reality, I think it's not just about the mall. I think it's about everything around the pitch. And just think about who, you know, if you have Itoji, Ezekwe, you know, and, and McFarlane, you know, sort of, I think Ezekwe is sort of a six stroke four. I think Marrow's like a, a six-stroke four. I think McFarlane's like a, a six-stroke four. I quite like having all of them on the pitch. So, yeah, that, that, that's what I would do. Um, that's the way i go. OK. And very quickly to the both of you, can I get a score prediction, please? Uh, it's going to be 28 all. It's going to go into... <laughs> wow. Okay. It's going to go into 
going to go into extra time and Saracen's going to win in the last uh, minute with a uh, drop goal. Is the ruling now that if it's 28 all and then tight, you could get a shootout like we had with the Toulouse game? Yeah. Is, is that a possibility in the Gallagher Prem as well? Or was that yeah. just a Europe thing? It is. Okay. That would be fun. Chris? Well, as long as I can see Dan Cole kicking penalties, uh, <laughs> uh, I, w- I would pay good money to see that. I go. I, I think I go 26-19 Saracens. Okay. And what has to happen for Tigers to win? Uh, Owen Farrell to miss some kicks. Okay. Interesting. Not the set piece. Farrell's just got to have an option. Oh, I, I, I take it. That, I, I mean, I think, I think you can take it as read that Leicester will be very, very, very competitive. Not, not dominant. Saracens are too good to to be dominated in in any particular area, but I think I, I think Leicester can shade the set piece battle. I think they will probably shade the set piece battle. I'm not sure that they're quite inventive enough, despite George Ford. I don't not sure they're quite inventive enough to be able to really unpick Saracens. That's a hell of a defence they have, and I'm just taking it as read that Farrell will kick his goals because that's what he does. But if he doesn't, Leicester are well in the game. Right. Well, we've got a, a draw. Slash Saracens win and a Saracens win. So I'm going to have to play devil's advocate and go 23-20 to Tigers. Although I think the percentage of me that believes that is probably single figures. <laughs> we will see, obviously, yeah, Saturday. Kieran, enjoy the game. You said you're going with your kids, right? Yeah. Amazing. Uh, well, sadly, I'm not going. Chris, are you going? Um, I shall be in God's own West Country. Oh, excellent. Okay, Watch, watching from the sofa. Uh, watching from the sofa with, with, my, with my Irish border collie, all right, you well, should or Chris, you're good at podcasts, better than writing. <laughs> well, you set the bar very low, Kieran. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. by, by my writing, not your not your contribution, which is, as ever has been a gift from God. Oh, that's un- unusually wholesome uh, for the Rugby Paper podcast. Let's finish there, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure, and let's look forward to the final on Saturday. Thanks. See you, guys. Cheers. The Rugby Paper is available in stores on Sundays or through a digital subscription, get it delivered straight to you. Next week's episode will review the Gallagher Premiership final as well as the season as a whole. Enjoy Twickenham and we'll see you then.